I should state very briefly, I'm just thankful for our pulpit share last week. I've heard very good things of, of Brian and Heidi and uh, the family going to share at Crossway. Um, there, they meet at the um, campus in, on Alverno College, and things went very well there. I was pleased with that. And then, of course, here, Pastor Kurt Miller uh, shared God's Word. It was such a delight to have him share God's Word faithfully and encourage us in the Word of God. If you remember Acts 17, just teaching us that the gospel will always have different responses. There will be many who will reject, but there will always be some who God has turned their heart to receive his word. So what an encouragement that was to me, to, and I would say to us in this work and in this ministry. Today I'd like to just use this Father's Day as an emphasis. I'm going to look briefly at Satan's attack on the family. Uh, one of the first um, studies I did or, or preaching series I did even before it came, uh, before Sweet Communion was started, uh, was a series I did on Satan's attack on the family going through Genesis. And what it did, it outlined how um, Satan from the very start, from, very all, from, from creation, um, he has always tried to stop and attack God's design on the family because he knows that family is crucial for society. And uh, if he can impact that, he can impact all of society. Now, at Sweet Communion, we, we've understood that truth, and we have set out as our purpose to, to strengthen the family and to do that predominantly by strengthening the man uh, and helping him be what God wants him to be. And in that, we build up the entire family because when that man is right and he's in right relationship with God, he's in right relationship with his home, with his wife, with his, his family, and we can see how God works in that regard. So I want to look just briefly um, at Satan's attack. Um, we see him attack that vertical relationship of man, or I should say, when I say man, in this case, I'm talking human beings, humans to God, how we are connected with God. Satan directly tried to affect that by bringing man into sin, bringing both Adam and Eve into sin in violation of God's law. And he did that in Genesis chapter 6. We see that that also had an effect on the horizontal relationship we have as human beings. The relationship we have with one another. Satan is affecting and attacking us there. So we see the ramifications of that sin and how it impacted the marriage relationship of Adam and Eve. What God said to, to Eve is because you have sinned in this way, um, that you're going to have conflict within your marriage, conflict in the leadership role of your home. And we see that in every marriage, and we see that all across society, that that is one of the impacts of Satan's uh, attack on us, that there is very difficult to have a family that is, that is uh, connected properly and functioning the way that God intends it to do. In fact, it's impossible to do it without God's power. And so that's part of Satan's attack. We also see um, 
the relationship in the home in chapter, Genesis chapter 4, we see the sibling uh, 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 drama, uh, discord, a brother kills another brother. Uh, and, and so we see the it attack within the home. They haven't even gone outside the home and they're suffering this type of violence. We see that happening in our communities right now. It continues to happen. Um, and, and, and it is just amazing the discord that Satan is building within the home. Um, I, it's interesting. Ever since uh, my father's funeral, uh, the funeral director has, has asked me if I would be willing to speak at funerals of, of, of those who probably aren't associated with church and don't have a pastor. So I've been asked already at least two times to do that. In both cases, it's been extreme cases where there has been uh, uh, really a lot of drama going on, usually a murder. Uh, in one case, it was a murder within the family, one family member killing another family member. And uh, you can imagine trying to officiate a funeral like that. Um, and so they recognize that right in our community, we have such discord like that that you can't even have a decent funeral uh, because of the nonsense that's going on. But we, we see that. We see that right where we are, and that is Satan's attack on the family. We also see in that same chapter, in Genesis chapter 4, uh, not just Cain and Abel and, and, and Cain killing Abel, but we see the story of Lamech, and we see what I call Lamech two wives, right? And so that's an attack on the family. God intend for family to be made of husband and wife, not boyfriend and girlfriend, not girlfriend and girlfriend, not boyfriend and boyfriend, not some stranger and you had a baby with and you raised them by yourself. God intended husband and wife, single, one man, one woman, one male, one female, to be the family unit. This is so simple but it's so enormously important in our society today, and Satan has attacked that structure. People look at me like they're mad at me because I tell the truth that this is God's design. I didn't make it up. I didn't write it. And Pastor, well, how come you can't officiate my, my, my uh, wedding? Because you don't do it God's way, and I don't want to have any part with it. And I won't do it. I didn't make the rules. God did. God set marriage and family in order. Do you know that God uses the relationship of family to describe his relationship with us? We call him God the Father. We call Jesus the Son. There's a father-son relationship in the deity, in, in, in the trinity there, and our relationship as children of our heavenly Father when we trust in Christ as Lord and Savior. So this whole marriage de design God had made clear from Genesis chapter 2 and Genesis chapter 3. And right we get to the next chapter, Genesis chapter 4. Somebody done come up with their own design. Lamech says, I'm going to have two wives. I'm going to have two wives. And he did that. And that's still that kind of nonsense is still going on today. And we're still seeing the impact of it. Later on in Genesis, we see um, what I call family drama and distrust in the relationship of, of uh, Abraham and Lot. Lot was Abraham's nephew, 
And Lot decided, he looked at the land and he said, hey, uh, I don't want to hang with you anymore. I want the best of the land here. And so Abraham decided, this is in Genesis chapter 13, Abraham decided, look, Lot, if that's what you want, if there's going to be such drama when we're together, then go ahead and separate. You choose whatever you want, and I'll take what's left. Because God had promised Abraham this land. And uh, so Lot chose what he thought was the best of the best, and Abraham took the rest. And uh, uh, so we, we see that discord between Abraham and Lot. But as you read the story, you realize this is just the beginning of it. This is what drew Lot away from his relationship with God and into sin and into the cities of Sodom and Gomorrah where sin was just rampant. And that leads us to our next attack on the family in Genesis, and that is the sexual chaos, I call it, in Sodom and Gomorrah in Genesis chapter uh, starting in Genesis chapter 13, 13, where it just makes a comment. When Abraham and Lot separate, it makes this comment that the men of Sodom were exceedingly wicked. And when the Bible says that, you, it's there for us to take note. And then it describes later on what it meant by that exceedingly wicked. What it means is there was this sexual chaos in that society, uh, we can label it as homosexuality, but it was, it was that and a whole bunch of other stuff, too. It was so wicked that God decided he would destroy Sodom and Gomorrah. And in fact, he did. And he began to talk with uh, uh, Abraham about his plan for that. And so we see all of this happening in the first book of the Bible, and we see God had made a design, and Satan will attack it. But I want to talk about God's counterattack. God's counterattack, because we see that. God has a counterattack, so you and I don't have to be sucked in to, into the wickedness of this society. And so that's why I wanted us to read that one passage in Philippians chapter 2. And I'm going to read it again so that you can remember what it says. And then I want to refer back to uh, Genesis and go over just a few things there. So in Philippians chapter 2, uh, we read verse 14 and 15. It says, do all things without grumbling or disputing. Now, I could preach a sermon there, couldn't I? But you get the message. Stop complaining and do what God has called you to do. Men, fathers, stop complaining and do what God has called you to do. That you may be blameless and innocent children of God without blemish in the midst of a crooked and twisted generation. The Word of God recognizes the situation, the condition of life that we live in. I mean, I'm glad that this is written because otherwise I would think, God, you left me in Milwaukee? What's going on? He said, I know where I left you. I know what's going on. You live in the midst of a twisted and crooked, a wicked generation. But God wants you, don't complain, he says, but shine as lights. See, in a dark place, the light becomes more obvious. God wants us as believers to shine as lights, and specifically fathers. 
God wants us to recognize that he has put us in this type of place. I've heard fathers say, and I know we've all in the generations past have said, wow, I don't know how you raise kids in a generation like this. The fact is, the only way you can is with God's help. But it is his purpose that you raise kids in a generation like this. Let me show you how two men did it. We're going to focus in Genesis chapter 6, first of all. How they lived shining as lights in a twisted and crooked generation. Genesis 6, verse 1. When man began to multiply in the face of the land, daughters were born to them. The sons of God saw the daughters of men, that the daughters of man were attractive and took as them wives as they chose. We see what's going on here is that individuals who were to live godly lives are now associating themselves with people who aren't, are no longer living godly, and they are grouping with them based on simply a physical attraction. In verse 6, it says, The Lord saw that the wickedness of man was great in the earth, and that every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I, I almost faint when I read that verse. It's so much there. Can we just unpack a little bit of it? This is God's opinion. Uh, this is God's uh, perception and, and what he sees when he looks at this land and this, this earth. God saw what? Wickedness. Underlying in your mind, wickedness. Not just a little bit wrong, okay? Wicked. It has a thought of to the core. Wicked reminds me of a tree that is so decayed and rotten that if you were to try to use it for wood, it'd be no good. But you got to cut it down. He says the wickedness was great. The word great gives us a sense that it's not just started. It's not just a little bit affected. It's great. Think about the word cancer and, and, and a doctor saying to you, no, you're not like stage one. You're not just a little bit. It's great. It's all over. Notice the other word. He says this, this wickedness was great where? On the south side of Chicago, on the north side of Milwaukee, in the inner city. No, he says, on the earth, everywhere people were, this is what was going on. Wickedness was great in the earth. He, he, he goes beyond that. And that the every intention of the thoughts of his heart was only evil continually. I can't even take all of that. He's saying it's not just what they did, it's what they thought and what they imagined every moment of the day. Every intention of the thoughts of his heart, inside out, wickedness was thorough in this society. It says only evil and that continually. Now you say, how can a holy person live 
in that society. Because I get that all the time. Well, Pastor, you don't know how it is. How can we live like that? When people say that, they don't always say it to me because they kind of know how I am and they know how I'm going to react to that. But they think that. And they look at me like I'm a stranger in this land. Like I'm alien and don't know what's going on here. Well, the truth is I am alien. I am a stranger. If you're a believer, you are too. In the sense that you are from another place. And you don't relate to the nonsense that's going on. But that, but there, that, sense, that sense is because we've been changed. But there's another sense that such were some of us. That's where we came from. And so we relate to it all too well. And we see it every day. Yeah, I got a suit on today and I have a Bible in my hand, but I don't always walk around with a suit and a Bible. I look like everyday people and I see what you see and and what you encounter all the time. I don't walk around with a sign on my forehead that says pastor or Christian or godly or holy. Neither do you. How do we live in a generation like this? God was so disgusted, he said, I'm going to blot out man from off the earth. And he did it. But at the end of that discussion in verse 8, this tiny phrase props up. But Noah found favor in the eyes of the Lord. Then the next verse says, these are the generations of Noah. Noah was a righteous man, blameless in his generation. Now, that tells us something about Noah's sons, doesn't it? It tells me something about Noah as a father. In this passage, it tells us that when the floods came, when God sent the floods, you know how old Noah was then? He was 600 years old. So he wasn't a newbie. He had lived a long time on this wicked earth that God described. And God still says that he found grace, favor in his eyes. He was a righteous man. And I'm going to paraphrase, he raised his sons right. Where did I get that paraphrase from? It says, blameless in his generations. And it says, I'm looking at verse 9, blameless in the generation, describes it, Noah walked with God. Sometimes I pull up to the, to the um, um, I'm, I'm driving down the street. This is what I don't like about summer, but this is what I like about air conditioning. You hear it. I'm driving down the street, I pull up to a red light, right? Car pulls up beside me, sometimes it's behind me, sometimes it's way behind me. And it's just bumping and rocking. I don't mind the music so much, but when every other word I can't even repeat on Sunday, Monday either, I'm glad I got power windows and air conditioning because I can turn my windows up and have some air and not have to be assaulted by all the nonsense all the time. But you still hear it. And you still know what's going around. How can you raise kids in a generation like this? How can you be a godly father 
in a generation like this. It says he was blameless in his generations. He walked with God. And then the next verse says Noah had three sons, Shem, Ham, and Japheth. Three sons in this generation. Don't you tell me you can't raise your kids right. When Noah did, in his generation, yes, you can. And yes, you must. But you got to do it God's way. Fathers, you are important. Noah was a man. They don't even mention Noah's wife's name. On Mother's Day, I, I did a message about Moses' wife, and her name was Jochebed. Remember that? We, we, Noah's wife has mentioned that he, she was there in the ark, but her name is not mentioned. It's not that she's not important, but it does show us, men, there is a role and importance that you have as a father that goes beyond the mother's role. Noah raised these three sons. The first question I ask myself is, where did they get their wives from? When, when, by the time that God brought them into the ark, there were eight individuals saved in that ark. It was Noah and his wife. He had three sons, and each one of them were married. Where did he get those wives for his sons? Where did they meet these young ladies that they ended up marrying? I'm told that Shem was 98 years old when the floods came upon the earth. Two years later, he had, I think, what was his first son. So he wasn't no little kid naive, not knowing what's going on. He had matured and he was married now. Where did he find? See, when we read Genesis chapter 6, verse 1, remember we said what was going on in society? People who should have been looking to God and worshiping God decided they would go astray from God and they linked themselves with everybody else who, they, they just linked themselves with whoever was attractive to them. Not the character of the person that wanted to please God and wanted to obey God. That's what society was doing. But somehow, Noah raised Shem, Ham, and Japheth differently. And Shem, Ham, and Japheth made some decision to live the way that God wanted them to live in the midst of a godless, wicked, twisted, crooked generation. That ought to bring encouragement to us today, that we can be fathers like Noah. I want you to tell, I, I want to look just briefly at the other man that I, I wanted to mention, not as extensively as we talked about Noah, but the other man is Abraham. And in Genesis chapter 18, God saw the wickedness of Sodom and Gomorrah, and he met with Abraham to complete his promise to give Abraham a son, even though he was almost 100 years old and Sarah was almost 90 years old. He says, I'm going to bring you a son just like I promised. And he, he, th he thought to himself, should I, should I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do? And so he said, no, no. I'm going to tell Abraham what I'm going to do. In Genesis 18, verse 17, it says, The Lord said, Shall I hide from Abraham what I'm about to do, seeing that Abraham shall surely become a great 
and mighty nation, and all the nations of the earth shall be blessed in him. For I have chosen him that he may command his children and his household after him to keep the way of the Lord by doing righteousness and justice so that the Lord may bring to Abraham what he has promised him. Abraham was a lot like Noah. Abraham lived in the land near Sodom and Gomorrah, but he had kept himself committed to living for God. And God says, this is a man who I can trust will raise his children in my ways. This is a good father. Man, I want you to take note of that. These men, sometimes we think, well, you, Pastor, see, you, you had this going for you and you had that going for you. And hey, granted, I am extremely blessed and, 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 and a recipient of the grace of God. I do not deny that. God has blessed me beyond measure in so many ways. When, when Don and I raised our children, you know, there's things that God wanted us to do. But it's his grace that allowed that to, 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 to work out the way that it has. And I am eternally grateful to God for what he's done. But I want to encourage you by letting you know this has been done before by the power of God that both Noah and Abraham raised their children in an antagonistic, God-hating society, and they raised um, godly, a godly generation. I am so thankful to God for that. The other thing that, that I want to just spend a little bit of time on today, um, and that is, is more of a practical side, um, studying... Noah's life, there's two genealogies that are given that give me some insight. One is in Genesis chapter 5 that gives the genealogy from Adam to Noah. And the second one is in Genesis chapter 11 um, that gives the genealogy from Noah all the way uh, to Abraham. And uh, as I put these things together, I'm not going to bore you with all the numbers, but if you're interested, I have a chart that shows all the, the ones that, that are mentioned there. And it gives the age at which they had the child that they, they mentioned. It says, you know, Adam, uh, had, had, he, Adam was 130 years old when Seth was born, and then he lived another 912 years, or, or uh, excuse me, he he, he lived uh, uh, another 800 years until he died at the age of 930. Um, so it gives all that information. You wonder, what is that for? Why, why do we go through, why does the Bible include all that type of detail? And is anybody going to do the math to kind of see what we should learn from that? Well, I actually did the math and, and did the charts. And let me just share with you a few things that I've learned from it. The first generation uh, uh, the first 10 generations from Adam to Noah, we get to see that if you start at day one, or actually start at day six of creation when Noah was created, and mark the days of his life, then 
you can see the setting that Noah was born in, and you can carry that out all the way past Abraham to Isaac and Jacob. By the way, that's kind of an outline of Genesis, and it's a great way that I've used throughout my years to study Genesis. Study Genesis this way. Adam, Noah, and then you're going to have Abraham, Isaac, Jacob, Joseph, that takes you all the way through 50 chapters of Genesis. And then in the Exodus, you're introduced to Moses. And so you got half of the Old Testament right there in the book of Genesis. You have so many years and so much history there. There's an importance of history. History gives us a proper perspective. Noah had a proper perspective of who he is, and he got that through his fathers. I fear today our boys and even our men don't gain a proper perspective, sometimes because they're disconnected from the history of their father and from the social group of their father. What do I mean by that? Is that when we go to school, when you're in high school, you are around kids your own age. Now, it don't seem like it when you're in ninth grade and somebody in 12th grade, they seem so much older than you. Or you're in ninth grade and somebody's in fifth grade, they seem so much younger than you. But actually, you are all in a very close range that you will never experience again in your life. The moment you graduate high school, the moment you leave college, you're coming into a work environment where you are with people from all kinds of ages. From 20, usually to 60 in a work environment. So not just 18 and 19 all grouped together. And there's much to be gained from that. I know some people lump together in the early years in gangs. They're all with the same age group. And they think they got some wisdom. And they really don't. They lack a perspective of history and where they are in history. I was talking to my son the other day, and he, he was talking about a work group that they had. and were asking, he was talking about race relations and asking, you know, are things better today than they were, you know, 40 years ago or, 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 or 50 years ago, back in the 60s and the 70s. And most people today, you know, say, oh, they're worse now. Are you crazy? You don't know anything about history if you say that. It's kind of like when we have the, if you're into athletics and the sports, you ever had those GOAT uh, arguments? Who's the greatest of all time? And what happens is what's happening now tends to take precedent over anything that, 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 that's happened before. And so we forget some of the great athletes from back when because we didn't know about them and didn't hear about them or didn't read about them. Noah was placed in a setting where he got proper perspective. Let me, let me just share this with you. Noah was born only, uh, I say only, but it's a matter of perspective, only 126 years after Adam died. Which means Noah was alive when Abraham was born. Think about that. Noah was alive when Abraham was born. And he is what I call the 9G to Abraham. You heard of OGs, right? <laughs> Original gangsters. I'm talking about grandparents. Great. If you, have a, if you have a father and then a grandfather, that's 1G is 
one grandfather, great-grandfather. That's why we call my mother-in-law, our kids call her Gigi. She's great-great-grandmother. Then great-great-great will be 3G. Noah is 9G to Abraham. But he was alive when Abraham was living. Yes, he was. Noah's, excuse me, um, yeah, Noah's son, Shem, in fact, let me say, Noah was 892 years old when Abraham was born. And he lived in a time when it was just 120-some years ago that Adam, Adam died. So, let me actually look at my chart so I can give you proper information. When Noah was born, if you remember Adam's generation, you go through thin generations. I'm going to just name some of the names. This comes from Genesis chapter 5. You got Adam, Seth, Enosh. Kenan, Mahalel, Jared, Enoch, Methuselah, Lamech, and then Noah. Those are father to son and generation to generation. There may be some skip, but they are direct lines there. We do get the dates and the ages and the years correct in Genesis. So Adam, Seth, Enosh. Noah would have been alive when Enosh was still living. So he had a perspective almost going to Seth. Remember Adam, Seth, and then Enosh. Noah was born 14 years after Seth died. And he was alive when all the other generations were living. Noah's great-grandpa's name was, his grandfather's name was Methuselah, who was the oldest man ever recorded in the Bible. Methuselah died the year of the flood. Now, you can read into that what you want. Maybe by the grace of God, he, 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 God took him right before the flood, or maybe he died in the flood. I don't know. But the fact, the point is, Noah was alive during all of these people. And it's because he lived so long, he could experience all of these people. Those are the people in front of him. How about the people after him? By the time Noah died, all the people from Abraham back had been born. So Noah died just some 40 years or so before Isaac was born. But he was able to, to be alive when Abraham was born. Now, I don't know if there was any contact between them, but can you imagine going to the family reunion and talking and having stories with everybody from Enosh all the way to Abraham? You listened when Enos talked, and Abraham would have listened when you talked. 
This is what I call historical perspective. He had a sense of who he was in the generation. I see youths walking down my street, and they have no historical perspective. They see me as an old man who don't know nothing, who's telling them to get off the grass. <laughs> have no history. You know, I want to tell them, look, man, I've lived in Milwaukee before your mama's mama was born. I know what's going on around this neighborhood, and I ain't even that old. I was here in 67 when the riots devastated 3rd Street that still ain't built up the way it used to be. I was here when black folks didn't even live in Sherman Park and went to school and was the only one, in, only black person in my grade from third grade all the way to fifth grade on the corner of 51st and Locust. And that ain't that long ago, folks. What we miss is a historical perspective that we get from our fathers and other generations. Now, part of the problem is we don't live long like Noah lived 950 years, and so he could get all of that. By the way, lifespans were reducing, and by the time Abraham comes along, you remember how long Abraham, he lived only 175 years, which is still long compared to us today, right? My father lived 93 years, and that was long. But Noah lived 950 years. In that time span, he was able to gain a sense of where he fit in. Gives you a respect for those in front of you and a respect for those coming after you. Wednesday night we were praying and Brian and I often take the young, the young ones now since um, Truth Seekers is on a break during the summer. We often take the young boys and we pray with them. And after they finish praying, I have them march down and go in into the fellowship hall. And they were going, walking down the fellowship hall, and I looked at Brian and said, I pray that that's our army. I pray that we lose none of them. A perspective. See, they, they're thinking, yeah, I'm here. They, they don't know that 10 years from now, they're going to be 15, 16, 17, 18, and 19. And I'm looking when Brian was that age, and I remember when I was that age. A little bit of historic perspective is needed for our men to be what they need to be. I think Adam, excuse me, Noah shared with Ham, Shem, and Japheth and said, Look, guys, don't look to these women because they look good and they're wearing their tight pants and they got all the fake hair and the makeup on and you attracted to them. Look at what their character is. And what they live like. And no, I'm raising you to set the next generations to come. Do you realize when Noah lived after the flood, he became the oldest man living. Because everybody was wiped out. And he's saying to his three sons, we have got to raise our children in a godly way. Let me wrap this up. God relates to you fathers because he sent his son, into a wicked and crooked generation that absolutely mistreated him and violated him. And yet his son accomplished the purpose for which he sent him. 
We can raise our children, we can raise our sons right here in Milwaukee. Is it easy? No, it isn't. In fact, it's impossible without the grace of God. But God promises his grace. It says, Noah found grace in the eyes of of the Lord. He found favor in the eyes of the Lord. God knew the setting that he had placed Noah in, and it is God who strengthened him to raise his sons so that God's name and worship could be continued. God is still doing that today. God wants men who are willing to say, God, I answer your call. I will commit myself to raising my sons, and if by the grace of God I see my grandsons and my great-grandsons, I will raise them to follow you because you sent your son to redeem this wicked earth and all who would trust in him. God said in Noah's day, I see the wickedness and I'm going to destroy and start with a new generation. He says in our day, I see the wickedness, and I am bringing up a new generation starting with my son. I've sent my son to a wicked generation that has forgotten me, and I'm sending him not just to be an example, but to pay for the sins and to bring hope through the payment of sin for all who would trust in him. In other words, to redeem them, to save them from their sin. There's hope, there's hope in Jesus and only in Jesus because there was a father who sent his son to live differently in a wicked generation. Noah did the same. Abraham did the same. God is calling you men fathers to commit yourself to do the same. You do it by trusting Jesus and engaging in the power that he gives. We want our sons not to just be educated. We want our sons not to just be athletic and look good. We want our sons not to just be successful in business and finance. We want our sons to be godly. Because in being godly, they will live eternally with the Father and with us who trust in Jesus. They will continue a righteous generation. I pray for my sons. I pray for my daughters. I pray for my son-in-law, my daughter-in-laws. I pray for my grandchildren. God will use all 12 of them to impact their generation. But I don't stop there. Twelve ain't enough. I'm praying for your children. I'm praying for all who are connected with you. You see, the reason why we focus on men is we want our children to, 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 to meet that goal and meet that picture. And we want other children to do that as well. We want men to be like Noah, who are living in a wicked generation, but have committed themselves to trusting God. It says Noah walked 
with God. He walked with God. Me and my sons often talk about what it means to be a man and being tough. Can you imagine? You want to talk about somebody tough? Talk about somebody going in the opposite direction of everybody else. That's Noah and his sons. By the time Noah built the ark, his sons weren't little boys anymore. I would imagine they had to make a decision for themselves. As I mentioned before, they had to make a decision in the wives they chose. They had to make a decision in the lives they were going to live. And they made a decision to walk as their father walked. And God used that to bring hope to a whole new generation. That hope came through a later son of Adam, a later son of Noah, a later son of Abraham, <laughs> a later son of David, the son of God himself, Jesus Christ. We thank you, Father, that we can call you Father. You've given us a challenge and a burden to raise our children in this generation. It is difficult, it is impossible. But you give us strength, and we thank you for that strength. Lord, I pray we'll commit ourselves. We'll see that you make that way possible. You provide the strength. You provide the grace. You provide the resources for us to live, not just live the way you want us to live, but to have an impact on the people around us. Use the men here. Use the parents here today, use fathers here today. Take these children, Lord. We commit them to you that you would use their lives for your glory. I'm so thankful, Lord, for the father you gave me. I'm thankful for the father-in-law. I'm thankful for the mother you gave me and the mother-in-law that you gave me. Their commitment to raise us, their children, in such a way we would want to raise our children and our grandchildren to follow Jesus Christ, to see him as our one and only hope, the only redemption for this wicked generation. I pray that message be received today. You touch hearts to trust Christ and to walk in his way. We pray this now in Jesus' name.